welcome aboard Just Jets with your captain, Matt O'Leary. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Hello and welcome to episode number 74 of Just Jets. What's going on? I am Matt O'Leary. Going to be hanging out with you, getting into Marcus May and the deadline that is rapidly approaching this week, answering your voicemails and so much more. But before we get started today, a word from our sponsors. Summer is here. You better be ready to unveil that beach body and you're in luck with our friends at Manscaped. They have just recently launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes Lomore 4.0. That's right. There's four of them, and the fourth one's the best one so far. Compliment your summer bod with a trim from the leaders in male grooming. The sun is shining and calling your name, so join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. And get that hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping using my code JETS20. That is J-E-T-S-20 for 20% off and free shipping. Get yourself something nice. So... If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the Matt O'Leary NY channel as well as the Just Jets Clips channel, and you are entered to win. I have a package from Manscaped 2 that I'm giving away in a Zach Wilson jersey when this channel, Matt O'Leary NY, reaches 10,000 subscribers. We're getting there slowly and steadily, so let's get to it. We have a lot to get into today, and the very first topic of conversation has to be Marcus May. Why? Well, the Jets have until July 15th which by the time you're listening to this is going to be three days from now on Wednesday. So not great. No, Thursday, not a mad podcast, whatever. Fact of the matter is they have just a few days to get a long-term deal done. Otherwise he'd have to play on the franchise tag, which they franchise tagged him on a one-year deal. It's $10.6 million for him to play under the franchise tag this year. And I mean, would it be the worst thing in the world if he plays through the franchise tag this year? No, Uh, he can get signed after the year. Uh, They could franchise tag him again, but you're just wouldn't be able to sign him to a long-term deal before this year if you don't make a move in the next few days. Now, here's the thing with Marcus May. Age, that's the factor that everyone always brings up because he's going to be 29. um, And usually secondary members don't age well once they reach 30. But this is someone who has been here on a ton of really bad Jets teams, 17, 18, 19, 20. He's going into his fifth year in the league. Uh, He played in the SEC in college, so he's had a a lot of experience, but maybe a little bit less than most 28, 29-year-olds have, at least NFL experience. So to me, age is the biggest thing when it comes to this one. Uh, I think he's likely looking for 13 to $15 million a year, which I think that's probably pretty fair. I'd like it to be 12 or 13. That's the ballpark that I was in. 14 is okay. You're getting up 15, and if it's more than 15, that's starting to be a lot. But 14 million a year is probably where I'd go up to. And I and I get it. I, I do. He's a really solid player on this Jets team. I would like to keep him around. One of the, in my eyes, he's a top 10 safety in the game, uh, and it's not going to cost you what it would cost to keep Jamal Adams here. Who apparently the contract negotiations in Seattle are not going very well, and uh, more drama there. Glad the Jets aren't involved in that and got a couple of first-round picks and a third-round pick and a starting safety last year. So when it comes to Marcus May, clearly only a couple of days left for something to happen. 
If I'm going to bet and put my neck on the line, I would say they don't get a deal done. I think he plays this year out on the franchise tag, and then next offseason you figure it out, see what happens this year. I personally would like to re-sign him, and if they don't, then I would that would rank up there with Robbie. Those are really the only two moves. I was like, I really don't like the idea of letting these guys go. Trading Leonard Williams away, I was fine with. Darnold away, Jamal Adams away. They all had to be done in my eyes, and sure, there weren't you know, perfect roads and free agency and through the draft. It's been very good and much better than what we've been used to with John Nidzik and Mike McCagnin, the two most recent ones to have the job. But if you were to be critical of Joe Douglas, I think if he were to let Marcus May go, that would be one reason or one area where I would criticize him as well as letting Robbie Anderson walk and trying to replace him with Brashad Perryman, who, I mean, pretty much everyone knew how that was going to go. Uh, it didn't go very well. And sure, there were other factors. For instance, the Adam Gase offense, Sam Darnold not being able to get the ball down the field. There's a lot that goes into it. But I think, you know, we don't have to rehash history at this point. We, we know uh, how most people felt about it. I would feel in that same light of how I did when they decided to let Robbie go if they were to let Marcus May walk at the end of the year. I think a deal should get done. I don't think that's necessarily where the Jets are at but if it were up to me I would sign him to a three-year deal I'm okay with that a four plus I don't think he's going to be getting it at this age anyway uh for somewhere let's split the difference between 13 and 15 and go 14 million dollars a year uh, I think that's fair value and I would be very I would be comfortable doing that with the Jets I don't know we haven't seen Joe Douglas do that and again that could be a criticism of him not retaining the old, their own guys but Marcus May wasn't drafted by Joe Douglas, which that, like to admit it or not, probably plays a factor in this. But I think he should be resigned. I'd be surprised if we see something happen by the 15th, but I'll keep you updated. And as I hear things, I'll make the videos and I'll react to it. But as of now, it doesn't sound too promising that a deal is going to get done in the next couple of days, unless something changes, obviously. And this is being recorded on Sunday. So if this comes out on Monday and he's already signed, then guess who looks like the jerk? It's me. But I, I'm willing to place my bet that he, he doesn't get signed by the time this video comes out. Uh, that was the main storyline from the Jets this week. There's not a really a whole lot. I could I could rant and rave about the ridiculous PFF rankings in certain areas, um, which, I mean, there's, we'll have phone calls on that coming up. And, you know, it, it's really one of the rare quiet times in the NFL, uh, the, the time between mini camp and training camp. So a couple more weeks, then it gears right up, and we start focusing on the 2021 season as fans of the New York Jets. So with that, let's get into voicemails. Got a ton to get through today. So we're going to start things off with Rob in Tennessee. Rob, from Morristown, Tennessee again. Happy 4th of July, buddy. Uh, you too. Jets. Uh, the uh, rankings don't make no sense to me either. Uh, like I said, they show no respect to the Jets. And I wouldn't lose no sleep on it. And the Jets are going to play with a chip on their shoulder if they're listening to this uh, nonsense. And uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I think we're going to be sneaky good. I, I, I think we're going to be maybe in a, in a playoff hunt. We may not oh. make it, but we'll make it next year. So uh, go Jets and go Morgan Moses. And that, that right and left uh, side is going to be uh, – Trouble, trouble, trouble for the defense, other team defense for the next few years. So, um, peace, brother. And, uh, a long time uh, uh, watcher of the show. And, uh, Thank you. Doing a great job. Keep it up. Um, they show no respect for the Jets. About like Rodney Dangerfield. No respect, <laughs> no respect. Catch you later. Bye. Love it. Thank you so much for checking in with us, Rob. And I agree that I, it's. 
I they don't get enough respect. And you know what? I'm gonna play devil's advocate for them for a second. Do the Jets? The Jets haven't done a lot to earn respect in the last few years, uh, especially in the Adam Gase era and, and some of the Mike McCagnan era as well. Uh, so I understand a little bit, but it's just frustrating when for Jets fans when you've been beaten down a, a bunch to continue to be a punching bag when things are very visibly changing around here. For instance, offensive line improving, brand new quarterback in here, new coach, general manager with some more years and tons of picks on the way. So while I do agree that I think PFF is off base in this area with like ranking the Jets the 30th best roster, I don't love to be the continual punching bag. And, you know, I will say this. I think that is going to change in the near future. So that would be something to be excited about in 2021 and beyond. And I also agree with Rob. I think they'll be competitive and playing meaningful football in December, which is definitely a big, big plus. Uh, I don't think they're a playoff team quite yet, but I think they will absolutely be in the mix in the second half of the season, which is a much needed improvement after starting what one in nine in 2020 or no 2019 and then last year going two and 14 so yeah there you go uh sean from north carolina is up next and he wants to get into the defense so let's talk about it hey man my name is sean i'm from north carolina and i'm a new york jets fan for 30 years um my question to you is this how much of the defense do you think is going to improve hmm. this year? Um, because I'll tell you right now, I think the tackling situation that the Jets had in the last three years was horrible. There was no tackling. And that's what I want to see. I want to see the tackling improve. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, so I definitely think this is going to be a different kind of defense. And thank you, Sean, for calling. Um when you look at it, they are very much so going to rely on their front four to get home, uh, which that's not really the case for what, what Todd Bowles was looking to do or what uh, Greg Williams was looking to do. They were kind of blitz heavy, those guys, and so was Rex. So it's going to be different. They're not necessarily going to blitz and they'll play more zone, which is also a little bit of a difference here. I will say this in terms of tackling. Maybe the Jets agree with you in this, but, and, I, and you know I see where you're coming from, especially on the linebackers. Nazaldine and Sherwood, who they drafted this year in the mid rounds, they are very, very good tacklers. And I think one of them, one of the two of them, are going to be playing uh, at the line and starting at the linebacker position. CJ Mosley coming back is going to be huge for that as well. <clears throat> and Gerard Davis, hopefully, or Jared Davis, hopefully gets um, a little bit back to form. I, I think he was poorly coached in, in Detroit, and that played a big role in it. But I think the defense should be better. To me, the weak spot is the secondary, and they might give up some big plays down the field, but in terms of being like a fundamentally sound defense and in, in tackling and, and stuff like that, I think they should be uh, much more improved, Sean. George from Long Island is, is up next. He wants to talk about a potential distraction with Zach Wilson. What's up, Matt? It's George from Long Island. Listen, buddy. You know, all this talk about with Zach Wilson's mom with this New York media, it seems like it's going to be a huge distraction. I'm really hoping that just isn't the case with uh, Zach Wilson. I hope it's all about his game and whether or not he could ball as opposed to what goes on with his personal life. Tell me this isn't going to be just something we're going to have to deal with for the next 15 years. All right, buddy. Take it easy. I really hope not. It shouldn't be. I agree with you, George, that it should really, who cares? 
what his mom is doing thousands of miles away back in Utah. I don't care. What is your son doing or what is Zach Wilson doing on the football field? Is he winning football games? Great. Who cares? It's an Instagram page for the guy's mom. Like, why is that a story? I just, it's one of the things that I don't like about today's media. And it's, it is a thing. And it's going to be a storyline because it has been, even from when he was drafted. Like, the biggest storyline was, oh, look at, you know, look at the mom at the draft. It, it was, like it or not, that was a story. I, I don't like that it's a story. It shouldn't be. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's dumb, but it is. And hopefully, once the season starts and they're playing football and real games and they're winning and he's hopefully playing well, then that stuff should go away. You One would hope that it should go away. But unfortunately, right now, with no football, it's a story. A dumb one, but it is a story. Devin is up next, and he wants to get into some fantasy football conversation. Let's do it. What's going on, Matt? Uh, yep. My name's Devin from Rhode Island. Long-time Jets fan, uh, fan of your channel, and our first-time caller. Just wanted to give a quick call and ask, what players do you think would be good pickups to have on your team at fantasy? Um, on my rosters, I usually try to keep at least one Jet, you know, just to uh, represent. And uh, last year, I was rocking out with Frank Gore for a little bit. Uh, this season, I'm possibly thinking Corey Davis. Um, okay. He does seem to be our wide out one. Or Elijah Moore could get a lot of uh, reps. But at the same time, Jamison Crowder might eat up some of his time. So, you know, working with Cole, you know, just wanted to know uh, what your opinions are um, for which players would be good fantasy pickups. Um, keep doing the great work that you do, man. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you, buddy. Go Jets. Love it. I love talking fantasy football. That's going to be coming around the corner uh, before we know it, which is a great thing. Um, I'm with you on Corey Davis. I think he should, he's probably going to be the one who gets the most reps. I love Elijah Moore and love what he could develop into. I would be wary of taking him, though, because of, like you said, Jamison Crowder. I don't know what the split is going to be between the two. If I had to guess, I think as the year goes on, they're going to try to fade Crowder out and get more in a little bit more. And someone who else you didn't mention, Michael Carter, I think is a worthy late round swing because I do think he's the most talented running back on the roster. So if I were to give you two, I would probably go Davis one, Michael Carter two. And then I guess more three if I had to go with a third because I think, like I said, down the stretch, I think he's going to come into to his own. Um, and it could be a good sleeper. You might not even have to draft him, to be honest with you. You might be able to pick him up on the waiver wire, depending on how big your league is and stuff like that. So I love the fantasy questions. Keep those coming. Uh, Nick in Chicago is calling in next, and thank you to Devin for checking in with us. Uh, and he was featured in my hot take video that I made from this past week, and he wants to explain his hot take. Let's hear him out. Hey, Matt, it's Nick from Chicago, a uh, long-time listener, first-time caller, uh, and I'm calling on rather exciting circumstances. I got featured in your last video, uh, Suburban Cactern, for my okay. hot take, and I wanted to come on and kind of explain why I made the takes that I did. Um, starting with Michael Carter, I think it is all about skill set and all about opportunity. We've got this great left side of our line. He is Mr. Explosive Runs in college, so I think, I think, I'm hoping that it will translate over into the NFL. Um, maybe I will give it to you. Maybe I was a little high on Elijah Moore, but aren't we all? Like, I love he, him. I do believe he's going to be a superstar, and I'm willing to come down to about 
10 touchdowns. <laughs> That's as low as I'm okay. going to go because I believe in this man. Okay. Um, and then JP, Jason Pinnock, it's all about opportunity too. Um, I agree that it is kind of a crowded room and that uh, he might not have the most opportunity, but it's all there for the taking. I think we can all agree that really uh, maybe besides CB1, any position is up for grabs. Um, and sure. I, don't get me wrong, like, I'm, I'm all on board for competition, but I'm, I'm not glued into anybody. I think anybody could come in and, let, like, like everybody's been saying, let the best guy get out there and let us win in the game. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. Um, throw on throw on Zach Wilson, Rookie of the Year, too, because I'm feeling crazy. <laughs> Love it. All right. Thank you for everything you do for Jets Nation. We appreciate you, and go Jets. I love the optimism. I hope... I, I pray that Nick from Chicago is right because that would mean that the Jets are going to be really damn good this year. We'll start with Carter and then work our way back through. Um, I, I I agree, and I'm pretty sure I said this in the video at the time. I, I think he's the most talented running back in the rotation. I just I still do think they're going to split up the room. I don't think it's going to be one bell cow. Uh, but down the line, sure, I, I could get in on that. Elijah Moore. I, I, the, the Jets have five wide receivers that I'm comfortable with, so I think they're going to spread I, that too. I think they're going to spread the ball around. Uh, so I would love if he puts up 10 touchdowns. I'm, again, leaning on court, more so probably Corey Davis to be leading the touchdowns. More on that later in, in a few calls. Um, the, For Pinnock, while I don't think he's going to start, I mean, I shrug my shoulders because I can't tell you who's going to be starting on the other side of, of Bryce Hall. I, we know for a fact Bryce Hall is going to start. Who's on the other side? No idea. It could be him. It could be Bless Austin. It could be Isaiah Dunn. There's like four or five guys on this roster that it could be. So maybe he does get the starting job. We'll see. And Zach Wilson, Rookie of the Year. That'd be fun. That'd be really fun. What do we have to do to get a Zach Wilson Rookie Year? A Rookie of the Year kind of a season. That would be tremendous. Thank you, Nick, for calling in. Love the optimism, as I said. Let's get to Shane. He's calling in from New Jersey. He wants to talk about the tight end room. Hey, Matt, what's going on? Shane from Jersey calling again. Uh, something I wanted to touch on is the tight end room. Ooh, Dude, okay. Everything we've been doing, giving Zach so much to work with on offense, rebuilding it, and we still have that goddamn tight end position with Herndon. I'm not a believer. I know you're trying to <laughs> you, – you think so, but – I just don't believe Croft is fine, and Griffin is also there as a backup. But I would love to see a little move go out, get Zach Ertz on the mm. last year of his deal with the Eagles. We have the money. I think it was like anywhere from six to eight million bucks. Yeah, he's old. Yeah, he hasn't been that good. He's a veteran. He's been around. Douglas has been with him. Why not add him to the bunch? He can come in. He could start and just be another body. And it's not like we don't have the money. Uh, we we do. We've got a ton of it. Why not use the last of it? Last of it. And then he plays really well, you know, sign him again for something, or you let him walk and deal with tight end next year. But I feel like that could be something we could totally get at. And we have all these picks. We could probably get him for like a fourth or a fifth. We'll probably ship him out for. But, yeah, that's just uh, one of my thoughts. I wanted to hear what you wanted to say on it. But, yeah, that's all I got. Love the show, man. Go Jets. Thank you very much. I'm not opposed to bringing in Ertz at all, especially if it takes a mid-round pick. The Jets have so many picks. I'm not really, you know, I'm not going to bat an eyelash over moving a mid-round pick for to try to help the young quarterback because you're right tight end room is a really big question mark up and down every single guy in there is a huge question mark and while I am still holding on to my Herndon stock for probably going to get burned for one more year on that um 
I, I agree that, that that's probably their biggest unknown on the offensive side of the ball, for sure. Um, so bringing in a veteran like that, it, all it does is make life easier. And maybe it lights a fire under Herndon. Like, you want to do a positive spin zone that way? Maybe it's like, oh, you know, oh, bleep. I got to figure this thing out. Otherwise, I'm not going to have a job here. And I know that uh, Ertz is already at the end of his career for the most part. I think he could still be relatively pro- productive. He, he played with some awful quarterback play. Uh, so if he's healthy, I, I'm really not opposed to that at all. But I, I'm with you. The tight end room is probably one of the weaker ones on this New York Jets team. And I'm hoping Herndon goes to 2018 form. That's a big ask. It, it really is at this point. So we'll see. I, I I don't know. When I look at that room and try to figure out and project who it's going to be, a lot of shrugging because I, I can't really tell you. That and corner, big question marks. Jeremy from Sacramento is calling up next, and he wants to talk about some maybe potentially surprising cuts. Hey, O'Leary, it's Jeremy. How you doing? Good, brother. Okay, good. You staying hydrated? Always. Yeah, okay. You got it when you work out, you know. <laughs> um, hey, uh, I wanted to just pick in your brain. Who is your guy um, or what your projection or guys? that are on your list that it's going like that you're worried about being cut like what which guys if they get cut um is going to be very painful for you i mean because there's going to be some for a lot of us like um there's no way way everyone's going to be happy right there's a certain amount of roster spots got 53 um i look at the the wide receiver room um look at the tight end room um there seems to be you know even in the secondary no matter how you you slice it, there's going to be some cuts that are going to hurt. And I'm just curious if there's guys that you're particularly worried about um, and don't want to see go, um, but know they might be on the chopping block. And uh, have a good week. Thank you, Jeremy. This is an interesting question. It got me thinking a little bit. So we just talked about him, but there's a chance they cut Chris Herndon. Uh, they like Croft, and he was running with the first teamers. So. I wouldn't cut him because I st- he's on a cheap deal. There's not a ton of depth in that room anyway, but the Jets have made a lot more surprising cuts than moving on from Chris Herndon if they were to do that. So that would probably rank up a little bit high. I think there's a chance he figures it out outside of Adam Gase, who historically has never been able to figure out using a tight end that's not named Julius Thomas, and that's because... Uh, Peyton Manning was running the show there. I'm going to say, and then the two other guys I will name, both guards. So, really, there are a lot of guys. When you think about it, at, at right guard, there are a lot of options here. A ton. We know who's going to play left guard, Elijah Vera Tucker. But at right guard, you have Van Roten, Alex Lewis, Tristan Hogue, or Hodge, however you say his last name. Um... Oh my God, Cam Clark. There's really uh, um, the Dan Feeney. They they have a ton of guys here, so I think the two that would bother me the most if they moved on from would be undrafted free agent Tristan Hogue or Greg Van Roten. Now, if I were to bet today, I personally think that Greg Van Roten is going to win the starting right guard job. And that's where I'm coming from on this angle, that if they decided to move on from him and let it be Dan Feeney or Alex Lewis, then I would be, I I think I'd be taken back by that because I thought Van Roten was fine last year. He wasn't great and maybe he was a little bumpy at times, but I would like to see him play in between 
Morgan Moses and Connor McGovern. I think he could be, you know, serviceable at right guard. And if Van Roten is your weakest link on the offensive line, well, then you've made massive improvements considering what this line was last year. So those are probably my three. There's probably others that aren't coming to mind right now. I know you mentioned the wide receiver room, but I don't worry about anyone who, you know, is listed in the top five, Davis, Mims, Moore, Crowder, Cole. After that, don't really have a love affair with too many of those guys on the bottom of the roster. Whatever they decide to do, they do. Um, and on cornerback, like Bryce Hall is not going to get cut. That's the only corner that I have any kind of emotional attachment to. So really, it would just be those three for me, I think. Travis in Ohio is up next. He, he wants to talk about issues with the Jets, or I guess in this case, a really a, a lack thereof. Hey, Matt. Yo. Travis from Ohio. What hey, up? buddy. Uh, I was looking for something way off topic to even complain or bitch about or <laughs> even bring up as a talking point. As a, I most often do because the usual talking points get over analyzed, it's and scrutinized, and until you get sick of them. So that's when it occurred to me that that we don't have any real issues. I mean, like feeling disrespected by the rest of the league. Yeah, we always do that. That's and, true. And when we actually think there's positives on the team, we aren't going through any Jamal Adams. Very true. Coaching changes, GM changes this off season. Like everything's positive. Not used to it. So there isn't any drama to talk about in the dog days of July when nothing's <laughs> going on anyway. That's true. That's a good thing, man. It is. It sucks for you. I mean, <laughs> you got to create content. <laughs> so I get that. I mean, but but it's kind of cool. It is. I mean, it sucks until it occurred to me when I wanted to call in and say, I love you. Appreciate it. I love the Jets. Hello, Zach Wilson's mom. So, <laughs> Damn it, Travis. Go all three. Hope you had a great fourth. And uh, there was a lot of Jack and Skinner around. So. There was. Anyway, have a great weekend. Bye. <laughs> Believe me, Travis, there was. We were having a good time barbecuing. It's one of my honestly one of my favorite holidays of the year for that reason. The the barbecues and the friends and family and just having a good time. So uh that was really cool. And I you know what? While you're right in that it might not be the best for me as someone who tries to make videos about this team every day, at least, you know, four or five times a week at the minimum. But from fans' perspective, I love it. I love the direction of this team. I'm feeling very positive about the direction of this team, and I would rather sign up for that than the absolute chaos that is normally ensuing around this time. So give me this any day of the week. I am completely fine with where the Jets are. They have the quarterback that I was arguably most excited about. I mean, I was excited about Trevor Lawrence too, let's be real, but Zach Wilson was someone who I didn't think the Jets would be really in a spot to, to grab him, and then he was a riser, and that, that was really cool to, to see unfold. I thought Mike McCagnin, uh, not Mike McCagnin, wow, never going to give credit to Mike McCagnin. I thought Joe Douglas did a really good job building this team in the offseason and through the draft, and I'm really excited about Robert Sala too. So positive vibes for me right now, which is, in some people's eyes, a rare thing. But this is so, like, depending on what app you go on, like sometimes on, on YouTube, 
I've noticed people think that I'm way too negative, but like any of the, the clips that I post on my TikTok, it's always this guy is so biased. He's so Jets heavy. It's like, I, I can't win. Either I'm way too positive or I'm too negative. There's no in between apparently, but I really, from my heart of hearts, I'm telling you right now, I try my best to keep it as unbiased as possible. It's a lot easier said than done. But I try to keep it real with you guys and say how I actually feel about things rather than create narratives or storylines just to do a debate or anything like that. That's not who I am. That's not the kind of content that I like to do. I like to tell you my honest opinion, and this is how I feel about it. So anyway, Vinny from Peak Skills up next. He wants to talk about Zach Wilson. Hey, Matt. It's Vinny from Peak Skills. I just saw your what up, bro? Why Zach Wilson Can Have a Historic Jet Season video. I totally agree with you. I mean, he's got he's got a lot of things going for him that most of the Jets' past rookie quarterbacks have not had the fortune of. Obviously, great coaching, some great we- some solid weapons on offense. Yep. But the one thing that he really has going for him that no one else has had up to this point is game number seventeen, because that changes it a does. lot. It makes a big difference. It does. Well, significantly, it drops the magic number of yards per game that he has to average in order to break the Jets' passing yards record. Up until this point, it was 251 yards per game. Adding game 17, that number drops down to a much more manageable 236. He could do that. And considering the last four Jets quarterbacks that were drafted and developed by the Jets in their first season starting, averaged combined... 195 yards per game. I don't think it's impossible for him to do it. I think it's much more easier as long as he and the weapons stay healthy. I think he'll easily be around that mark. It's just up to him, really. You're right. That is all, and um, go Jets. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? This is super super exciting times for uh, the New York Jets and and Zach Wilson in general. And I agree with the 17th game. He should absolutely be in the mix for, to break Joe Namath's record. And as a historian, I know that you, you probably, you know, this Vinny from peak skill. You definitely do uh, as someone who loves the history. But when you look at what Joe Namath did in his, what was it? The 1967 season where he set this record for the Jets. He threw for just over 4,000 yards in 14 games. That record stood for like 12 years in the NFL. Like he was way ahead of his time, which is really awesome for Joe Namath and the Jets. But the Jets haven't had that kind of play at quarterback pretty much since. They've had okay over years, but not, you know, not a Joe Namath level where he was, you know, comparatively to league. But it goes to show you it's not going to take a whole lot. 230, was it 235 or 236? yards per game in today's NFL that that's very doable it is I really if he throws for anything less than like 3,800 yards playing all 17 games I would be stunned which I know that sounds like a lot when you look at what the Jets have done at the position over the last you know decade plus though the last time that the Jets had a really nice stat line quarterback was Ryan Fitzpatrick's 2015 when he had like 3,900 yards 31 touchdowns 15 picks but when you look at everything, you know, in the in the grand scheme of things, like that's very, very doable for Zach Wilson, which is, you know, kind of why I made the video to begin with. But 
enjoy it, Jets fans. I, I think we're going to be in for a treat this year. Tommy in New Jersey is up next. He wants to talk about the wide receivers and how the Jets are five deep at the position. What's going on, Matt? This is Tommy from New Jersey. I'm a huge fan of the channel, and I was just watching your video on the top five underrated players for the Jets going into the 2021 season. And we were talking on Q and Cole. You mentioned sort of what the wide receiver depth chart would look like, where they would line up. So my question is, out of our five receivers, how do you think they'll rank in terms of production this year? I mean, Jamison Crowder, easily the number one receiver last year, yep. had a lot of production on this Jets offense. Really one of the Jets' only big guys on the offense. And then Denzel Mims, another returner. He showed flashes of what he could be, his potential, and hopefully he takes that step up in year two. And then we have the three newcomers. I mean, Corey Davis coming in, going to be our wide receiver one. He stepped up each year throughout his career, and hopefully the Jets have a nice signing and he can live up to that top pick that he once was. And then, like you said, that underrated guy, Keelan Cole, coming in, he had a solid year in Jacksonville with a lackluster quarterback situation there. So definitely a dangerous start out of him. And then a player that most Jets fans are excited for, our second-round draft pick, Elijah oh, yeah. Moore, after a monster year at Ole Miss. So, I mean, this wide receiver core, very deep. Where do you think – how do you think each of these five guys will fare? What ranking do you give them in terms of overall production once this 2021 season is over? Thanks, Matt. Keep up the good work. And go Jets. So excited for this 2021 season. Let's go. Love it. Love that energy at the end, my friend. So I, I am with you. I like the Jets' top five. Is it the best in the league? No. It's definitely not where it was the last few years, though. It's a big, big, big step forward. And a lot of it is projecting Mims and more, both of those guys who I like, to, uh, like a lot. But I think if I were to go in order of, like, let's say, production, I think it's going to be Davis, Mims, Moore, Crowder, Cole. And I don't want to give exact numbers on predictions i want to hold off till it gets closer and i'll do like a, a more in-depth video on it but just these are very round numbers for me davis leading the way i think like 900 to a thousand yards in that range probably might get over a thousand but to me i think a pretty safe bet to get over 900 with somewhere between five seven touchdowns maybe eight i don't think anyone gets double digits uh mims i i love mims i don't understand why some fans are writing them off because of otas that's crazy to me. I think he's going to be, you know, a solid wide receiver two this year. So like 800 yards, four, five, six touchdowns, somewhere in that range. More probably not going to have a ton of reps at the beginning, but towards the end of the year might get him up to 600, 700 yards, four or five touchdowns. And I think at the end of the year we're saying, oh yeah, maybe the production in terms of like a thousand yard receiver is not there, but we saw him flash, and in a bigger role, we think that that number is going to go up. That's what I think we're going to feel with him. Crowder, I'm feeling right around like 600 yards, maybe three, four touchdowns. I think he begins to get phased out in the second half of the year and could be potentially traded at the deadline. Cole, while I love him, I don't know about his production. Maybe four or 500 yards. Could get up to six if there's injuries and stuff like that, but if everyone's healthy, maybe right around 500 yards, a couple touchdowns, maybe three. So then, you know, Let's say 900, 800, 900 Davis, Mims 800, more 700, Crowder 6, Cole 5. That's 3,500 yards. And then maybe factor in another 500 yards for, you know, the tight ends and the running backs. And there you go. There's your 4,000 passing yards. So uh, it's really not too crazy. And, you know, like I said, when it gets closer, I'll do more in-depth predicting what the wide receiver production is going to be. But 
just a round number. I think that's probably a pretty fair estimate for right now. Jimmy in Columbus, Ohio is calling in next, and he wants to get into the offense. Hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. It's Jimmy out in Columbus. Um, I want to comment on the offense for this year. I think making the switch really to the wide zone scheme in this Shanahan-esque offense is going to do wonders for the O-line, especially, specifically, Connor McGovern. Um, this game really encourages the run and the play-action pass. It does. Um, offensive linemen are really on the hunt in this team, and it really discourages defenses from blitzing too much, which is where Connor really struggled last year, giving up, uh, I think, five or six sacks, if I'm correct. Um, I really think the offensive line can be at least a top 15 unit and maybe even on the fringe of top 10 if all goes well. If we had another guard next year's draft, I really think the line will be great for the next 10 years. Curious to hear your thoughts, man. Keep up the great work and go Jets. I really, I, I agree. Becton, I don't think people are talking enough about Becton and AVT on the left side. That is something like you if everything goes well and there's no injuries, you should not have to worry about that for 10 years. That should just be at minimum 10 years. Don't worry about it. McGovern, I think, had a bad year or an at least at minimum a very inconsistent year in his first year with the Jets. But I expect him to bounce back. The guard play is going to be so much better last uh, this year compared to last year. Greg Van Roten was fine. I said it earlier, but if he's your worst offensive lineman, you're really not in that bad a shape. And Morgan Moses is a massive upgrade on this line. And I'm someone who really liked George Fant. But that's another thing. Like, if George Fant is your first tackle off the bench, you're in a good shape. Because you're not going to have to play Chuma Doga. You're not going to have to play Pat Elfline or Connor McDermott or whoever the hell is going to have to come in and play snaps, what we've seen over the last couple of years. I'm confident in this offensive line, and that's the key. Keep your rookie quarterback upright and let him throw the football, which is something the Jets have struggled with seemingly far too often, which is why I think part of the reason why Darnold looked so shell-shocked last year. The offensive line was better last year. It wasn't atrocious, and a lot of it was on Darnold, but he was so shell-shocked from his first couple of years. That's why. And that's why I wasn't willing to bet on him figuring it out in year four, just because I thought he needed like he needs to go somewhere else, fresh start, fresh slate, which he wasn't going to get here, and the pressure was going to be immense if they decided to keep the number two pick and roll with Sam Darnold and draft, I don't know, the offensive line Penny Sewell or move back. The, the amount of pressure that would have been on Sam Darnold would have been insane. But I'm with Jimmy. I think the offense can look pretty solid this year. And I think right now they're about 15th, 16th in the league, somewhere around there uh, in terms of offensive line with a chance to top 10 might be tough. Maybe, maybe up to 12. I'll put them up to 12. Jeffrey in New Jersey wants to talk about Marcus May, and that's how we started the show. So let's get back to Marcus. Hey, Matt. It's Jeffrey from New Jersey, and I'm recording this on Sunday. Okay. And as of now, the Jets have not signed Marcus May to any type of extension. Um, we have about four more days until the deadline. And, uh, you know, I love what Joe Douglas has done in terms of building this team through the draft and, and really building this team the right way. But, um, you know, if, if we're not able to sign Marcus May to a long-term deal, um, I really worry that, you know, we're going to see this trend in the Joe Douglas era where – we have a hard time keeping our own guys. I mean, that's what the media, that's how the media is going to see it. Um, and I think that's how the fans are going to see it. And, you know, Marcus May has been a great consistent player, um, even during the last, 
year, which arguably is the worst Jets season ever. Yep. Um, and even, you know, years prior, uh, he's been a consistent player and I think he deserves a new contract and hopefully they can get something done. But I do worry that there may be a trend of us not being able to keep our own players. Hopefully that's not the case because I would love to get some of these younger guys signed to longer deals once their contracts are ready to expire. But um, that's all. I just, those are my thoughts on the situation. Uh, thanks for the show and have a great one. Absolutely. Um, I will say this to play devil's advocate for Joe Douglas for a second. There really hasn't been a ton of guys where it's like, ah, he should have re-signed him. Uh, except Robbie Anderson. And if he lets Marcus May go, then he will absolutely be on this list. I, I'm, I would be right there with you, Jeffrey. But I, I, outside of those two, is there really someone where you're like, ah, oh, he, he should have paid him but didn't? You're gonna pay Leonard Williams, you know, twenty million dollars a year when you just drafted when the guy before you. I know you didn't do it, but when Quinn Williams is on a rookie deal, no, that doesn't make sense. You're gonna pay Jamal Adams twenty million dollars a year, no, that doesn't make sense. You're gonna potentially pay Sam Darnold after what the inconsistencies that he's shown. That doesn't really make too much sense. Really, the the only ones that I could say would be Robbie and if Marcus May goes. If Quinn and Williams walks, if, I don't know, who's, who's going to be a recent draft, if they do this with Quinn and Mekhi Becton, I mean, he probably won't be here. If they're in a position where these guys aren't going to be signed when their rookie deals up, he probably won't be here because that means that there would be mistakes. So I, I don't think we're going to really know until a couple of years from now. Um, We'll see. I'm not ready to put that stereotype or that that stamp on Joe Douglas yet. I'm just, I'm really not, to be honest with you. Mark in D.C. is going to close this out, and he wants to talk about the PFF article that ranked Mark Sanchez the worst Jets draft pick of the last 15 years. That's ridiculous. Let's get into it. Hi, Matt. This is Mark from Washington, D.C. calling. I wanted to talk briefly about that pro football focus article ranking Mark Sanchez as the worst draft pick of the last 15 years. Just wanted to say that it feels like we're in a very slow news cycle right now, and we're seeing a lot of these really trite and uninformative rankings, be it, again, the Mark Sanchez list, the one about Michael Carter being the best running back of the draft class. There was another one, I think, that said that Robert Sala was the second to worst coach of all the new hires. And uh, just, like, thinking to myself, I don't know if it's worth our time to even pay attention to a lot of these articles because proof is in the pudding. And when these guys get on the field for the preseason, we'll see what's, we'll see, we'll see what's going on. Um, in any case, in terms of ranking Mark Sanchez the worst draft pick in the last 15 years, I don't know, man. I he was, he was okay. If we want to really talk about the Jets' worst draft choice, it wasn't 15 years ago. It was more than 30 years ago when we picked, picked Ken O'Brien over Dan hmm. Marino. I, I can't go that far. quarterback in the 83 draft class. And imagine what the franchise's arc would have been like if they had 17 years of steady quarterback play from Dan Marino instead of Ken O'Brien, followed by Browning Nagel, followed by Boomer Sarsen followed by Neil O'Donnell, followed by, I think, Vinny Testaverde. 
And although some of those guys were somewhat decent, again, imagine 17 years of Dan Marino. He might have actually had a Super Bowl ring. Anyways, hope all is well. Go Jets. I, I can't get on board with the Ken O'Brien one as being the worst draft pick in Jets history. Um, they should have taken Dan Marino, yes. Uh, you know, they, they should have. But Ken O'Brien was a an okay starting quarterback. It wasn't a complete disaster. Looking at the last 15 years, where, where do you want to start? Uh, Christian Hackenberg, uh, D. Milner, Vlad Dukas... Quentin Coppels, Vernon Golston. There's a lot of quality, not quality, but quality in terms of better options than Mark Sanchez. Mark Sanchez wouldn't make my top 10 of the last 15 years. I know things didn't go well, but if you want to look at it factually, the Jets gave up more to go up and get Sam Darnold than they did for Sanchez. There was a first-round pick swap a second-round pick, and a bunch of players that did nothing in their NFL career to go up and get Mark Sanchez. And while in the regular season in 2009, he wasn't good. He wasn't. In the playoffs, he was good. In 2010, pretty solid game manager in 2010. He was. Was he great? No, he was okay. And then in the playoffs, the games he played against New England specifically and against Pittsburgh, I know that they didn't come all the way back, but he played good in the playoffs. He was a clutch player. How many big-time game-winning drives did that team go on in 2010? 2011, I know the wheels fell off at the end. Still had 30 touchdowns, 26 passing, 4 rushing in 2011. The, Tim Tebow was, why, was part of the reason why that team fell off and, and some roster decisions from 2011 onward. But Mark Sanchez is nowhere close to the worst draft pick of the Jets in the last 15 years. He's not even a bottom 10 bottom 15 he's just not I know it didn't work out here but this is by far it's just it's stupid that's what it is it's just really really dumb so that's it that's going to do it for me on this episode we're going to end on that dumb note not I'm not not saying that Mark is dumb I'm saying that BFF and their decision of ranking Sanchez the worst was a, a bad decision. So please make sure to subscribe wherever you get the show. Really appreciate the love and support. This is it for episode 74. 75 coming back next week. We'll get into your voicemails and a whole lot more then. But for now, I'm Matt O'Leary. I'll talk to you next time.